together. I need y'all to repeat five words for me. The five words are love don't look like that. Together, love don't look like that. When I uh, do like this, I'd love to hear you say love don't look like that. A Christian babysitter is watching three kids, three kids that she knows that he knows really well. Uh, they're watching a TV show, so the babysitter decides to go take a nap. Babysitter wakes up, and there has been a frame found on the ground that is now shattered. The babysitter is now trying to decide which kid they're going to blame this broken frame on. Can I hear you say... The president of this amazing Christian company comes to his vice president and he says to her, hey, I know you love this place and I know you would do anything for this place. I also know that one of our biggest clients has just come and they are in a jam and need us to do something that's a little bit against our norm. We need you to lie. But we know because of the way you love this place and the care that you have for us that you'll be able to take care of this one. And now she's going back to go pray and uh, ask God how she can cover her tracks because she loves this place so much. Let me hear you say. They've been dating for two years. He says he doesn't love Jesus or that he doesn't even believe in God, but he's cool with her believing in God, and he'll support her. She hears him on the phone talking about proposing tomorrow night at the concert, and now she is praying whether to spend the rest of her life with him, a man that she knows doesn't love God, but she's wrestling with if she should love God in this way. Let me hear you say, family, we can begin to create our own scenario of what love looks like. Each of those situations, unfortunately, have happened to people where people that you may know of have been in some situations where if a person uses the term love, it's almost like the trump card. If you loved me, you would dot, dot, dot. If you really loved me, you would dot, dot, dot. And what we are going to look at from God's word today is what love is truly rooted in. We've been going through this series in John chapter 15, our series on abiding in Christ. And if you need a Bible, please grab one, raise your hand. We'll bring you one. There's one at each door. Or just go to your phone and scroll down because we're going to be flipping through some scriptures today. We would love for you to be able to trek with us so when you're home, you can get into God's word at home. We're turning to John chapter 15. And we have been looking at this beautiful sharing that Jesus gives us. We get to understand that, that God is the gardener, the Father is the gardener, and Jesus Christ is the vine, and we are the branches that come off of the vine, and that we are called to abide in Christ dwell in Christ, cling to Christ, stay connected 
to Jesus. But just because you are connected doesn't mean it's going to be smooth all the time. And this loving God, this father comes along and does a little pruning. Something that may not feel good, but it's still for our good. And we come to know that we are simply a reflection. We are a representation. We are an expression of Jesus. We are connected to him. And when you don't cling, when you don't connect, when you don't abide, we can do nothing. Aside from him, we can do nothing. And so our fruit can look like a bunch of nothing, but close to him, we can have fruit that represent him. And he says to us, align with my will, align with who I am, align with my desire and my will. And there can be some beautiful fruit that comes of it. There's beautiful joy that comes from it. And so this beautiful, clear word that Jesus is giving us, it takes place right as he's about to get prepared to go through death for our sake. It's something that he's sharing with his disciples before he's going to be leaving them. So now dive into the scriptures with me. John chapter 15, we're starting at verse 12. We're looking at 12 and 15 today, 12 through 15 says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone may lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. A few chapters earlier, Jesus uh, has just gone through the, the triumphal entry. Everybody's celebrating who he is. Jesus, Jesus, Hosanna, Hosanna. And then he makes an adjustment to go from this big public proclamation to do something intimate with those that are close to him. He says, let me wash your feet. Let me serve you. Let me, the God of all that all things are held together in, come and wash your feet. He models great humility, and then he promises that the Holy Spirit is going to be with them to guide them through all things. And then he gives this one commandment to focus on. He says, I want you to focus on pride. No, he says, I want you to focus on wealth. No, I want you to focus on serving. No, I want you to focus on love. Coming out of such a big triumphal entry where you would think anyone, the praises of everyone, would say what you need to focus on is power. Let's overthrow this Roman government. What you need to focus on is truth-telling. Make sure everyone gets hit over the head with the gospel. He says, what you need to focus on is love. I find it interesting that, that this is not a diminishing of any other thing that Christians can be about, right? You can be about evangelism. You can be about missions. You can care about the unborn and be against abortion. You can be for education. You can be about, about dancing. You can be about so many things, but 
But I love how the biblical writer sets your understanding of love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, he says, If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Clanging, clanging cymbal. It's disruptive. It, it, is, it disrupts and stops you from being able to focus. Have you ever, like, listened to someone, but the music was just too loud? You know, you at the restaurant, time to talk, like, girl, you know, we don't have the kids, and I'm just so thankful that you can hear me. Okay. I, I try to say that I really love you. You know, like, you just get to the point where you're like, it's, it's just, it disrupts everything around you, and, and try to do something without love. I've been on the receiving end of what was supposed to be a friendly, joyful experience. Someone is coming to help me. And when they came to help me, they treated me like I was beneath them. You see, there's something that love does that cuts through your small topic, evangelism, missions. If it's done without love, that will be the loudest thing that people remember. But if it's done with love, oh man, when it's done with love, people don't even remember your name. They see you in the street. Hey, brother, you, you was the one that gave me that food basket that day. I don't even know. But come give me a hug. When it's done with love, it'll make the world a difference. I like here that uh, that Jesus does a little, a little play on words with the term love. It says that you love one another as I have loved you. So you have love one another being continuous and loved taking place once and for all by having a continuous action. So it's like if I'm, if I'm hungry and I, and I want some meal, like Jesus says, feed my sheep, that means Keep hooking them up. They're going to get hungry again. Keep caring for them. They're going to be hungry again. But when he meets a woman at the well and he tells her that she won't have to thirst anymore, that her thirst will be fulfilled, that it's done, that means that he is her eternal thirst quencher, that he is the one that you find your all in and forever his one act of love lasts an eternity. And so he plays on these words that y'all keep loving on each other, but I've loved you. I've set something in stone. I've gone to the cross for your behalf, and now you will experience a love that will last for an eternity. But it's, it's interesting, though, because you and I got to remember the context, right? Bible isn't made just so that you can get it handed to you, and now you just go talk about Jesus. The Bible took place in a situation. I, I, lo- I, love, I love being with people, right? Because when you're when you with people and a situation happens, you're like, hey, like, you know, y'all were all at the barbecue. What took place? You know when you ask what took place, you get nine different stories, very different. Oh, well, Ray Ray saw the UFO, and we was looking at, you know, like, you get all these stories. But I love that. We have biblical writers that are testifying to one another's story, giving us validity in who Jesus is. 
And Jesus is writing in the context of people who were not maybe prone to love each other. He's writing to 12 disciples who might not at the first jump bend down for each other. You have four guys that come from a, a, a working class crew. They come from fishermen. Sometimes fishing is up. Sometimes fishing is really down. So you have four guys that are, that are working class, and that is how they see life. Associated with what you do also connects with your culture, right? So I, I know firsthand, like, 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 I've been blessed to travel all over, and I love food. I, that's, what, that's what I do. I like to eat. But I got this special affinity with soul food. Because, see, when I think of soul food, I think of grandma cooking in the kitchen. I think of some homies that used to sell drugs, and they stopped selling drugs, and they started working a minimum wage job to save up so they can open their first soul food restaurant. So when someone says something about soul food, it, it, it kind of hits my culture a little bit. But then I went to college, and I was blessed to, to connect with some amazing people that went off into the business world. And I watched as sisters of mine moved to cities where they had no family, no friends, to try to take a step for their family to be the only woman within the company and have to deal with stereotypes and snide remarks, and they're taking these steps of faith in a white-collar world. And somehow those cultures don't always seem to line up. We have here some fishermen and tax collectors. Matthew was representing the Romans. He was on the tax collector side. So now you've got opposite ends of the spectrum all together. And Jesus says, love one another. I, I, I know that connected to what you do is a connection to your culture and a connection to your people and a connection to the people who love you and who you love. And you look at them maybe as an enemy or as people that just don't get it. I'm saying this ain't an argument about topics. This ain't a debate on scripture. This is a challenge, a command to love. It's interesting that, that he's saying love people who are probably very different than you. That's the greatest stretching of us, isn't it? It's quite easy to love somebody that is similar to you, that gets it. Even, you know what I'm saying, people that finish off your sentence, you're like, dang, I didn't even have to say that. You connect with me so much, boom. It's the brother or sister that comes in and you're like, what is he talking about? That's, that's the stretching. And Jesus puts together a 12 that fit that mold, y'all. And so if those 12 with Jesus got the challenge and the charge, we still get that challenge and charge today. To love. To love. I was uh, coming past a blog that I like, and uh, I'm, all, I'm, just, I'm all over the place in my um, social media followings. If you look at me, you probably think that, like, you know, I'm like, 
I like Taylor Swift over here. Then you might think because of stuff I follow, I like um, President Clinton. And I also like um, Donald Trump. And I also like, like you. If you look at what I follow, you're going to be like, this dude is, what's up? But I love taking in the perspectives of a variety of people. I like to understand how people think, even if it differs from me. I want not to be able to speak just on what I assume. I like to be able to have a few quotes. But this brother or this this group that uh, invests in pastors have a blog called Man in the Mirror. And I liked one one of the things they shared. It says, Christians are not responsible to go and win a cultural war. We've tried. It's been frustrating and many are angry. Yet if the last 50 years have shown us anything, it's that the more angry and polemic Christians become, the less non-Christians listen to us. If it is the will of God for us to redeem the culture, how will it happen? It won't be because we are smarter, more strategic, more articulate, more determined, better organized, more powerful, better funded, better led, have a better plan, or work harder. It won't be because we shout louder or believe we're right. If culture is to be redeemed, it will not be because we remove evil, but because we grow the kingdom of Jesus. And that, of course, will leave less soil for weeds to grow, even though Jesus said weeds will be allowed to grow beside the wheat. If we really want to redeem culture, then let's go and do what he calls us to do to make disciples. And if making disciples is the battle plan, then what is our weapon? Jesus did not say all men will know you are my disciples if you win the cultural war. He said all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Love one another. At the foundation of any discipleship, of all discipleship, is this call to love for us to be continually loving each other based on the one act of love done at the cross by Jesus Christ. Look in verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. I love that uh, a guy wrote a commentary named Brown reminds us that in our lives we've come to know real love because of what Jesus laid down for us, his life. I, I, I think, and, and we see Scripture reflect this, it's quite noble if a person jumps in the way of a moving car to save a life of a friend. It's quite noble if a parent does that for their child. We admonish them and lift them up. But that person just gives you a little bit more time on your earthly life. Jesus stepped in for you and I for an eternal reality. See, it's not just so that you could go on to be a, a, a hairdresser or a doctor. He, he steps in on our behalf so that we can be able to celebrate his name and rejoice with all the creation forever to come. And so his death His act of love changes our reality. It's the definition of sacrificial love. It is the ultimate expression of it. I love that uh, that, that 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. 
But, but, but what's unique? What is, what is key? What is handed from you to you to me is that Jesus does not try to say love is just open-ended. You see, Jesus follows the will of the Father. So Jesus was commanded, and his love that he expresses flows out of the commands or the will of the Father, and so he's going to give us commands that show a similar love. I don't get to redefine love. I don't get to blame it on the baby. I don't know. It was all three of them did. I don't know. No, we don't get to redefine love in our own terms that benefits us, but ain't it tempting, y'all? Ain't, ain't it tempting, y'all, to, 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 to redefine love in your own terms? When you stand to gain something, even if that something comes from ill will, I know, I, yep, I, I've been there. There's been times I've gotten hookups and I didn't want to ask because I knew. Wait, 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 wait. So you got this item that's $700 in the store, but I can buy it for $50 from you? I ain't asking. Here's a 50. I've been that that guy. But see, see, love, but I'm doing this because I love my family. I'm doing this because I want to make sure that they care. See, what you can begin to do is provide ways to justify sinful behavior because of what you stand to gain. But that's the world's coolness because the world is so cool at lying to you. The world is so cool to think that you're getting over, and the only person you end up getting over on is yourself because God sees. God sees. And so there's a command. There's a a clear command that Jesus has for us. Look with me, verse 14. It says, you are my friends if I do, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. I, uh, I, I, I'm, you, I get triggered by this word. Whenever I hear the term servant, like as a black person, I, I struggle with like slavery and things of that nature. But I don't, I don't want that to steal away the beauty of what Jesus is trying to communicate. It is true that when you are a servant or when you are a slave, you are given orders. And orders are just something that you are supposed to follow. Go do this. Go do that. Go do this. But what Jesus is trying to show them is I defined who you are. I've not given you orders. I've also provided you understanding. You see, I give to my friends understanding. I tell you why I'm doing the things I'm doing. I'm telling you why it's best for you to wait to have sex until you get married. I'm telling you why it's best for you not to consume alcohol and be drunk all the time. I'm telling you why it's good for you not to use all of your money on these things and then not be able to have stability. I'm telling you why. Like, Jesus is quite clear on many things. He's saying, I'm bringing you into an understanding because you're a friend. I've, uh, 
had had children, and um, sometimes in certain stages, you just say, don't touch it. Don't touch it. You just give an order. Because at that, at, at that level, at that age, you can't process it. You can't wrap your mind around it. All you need to do is not touch the stove because the stove is hot. But then as children begin to mature, as people get a little older, you begin to say things like, hey, dad's about to leave. I got something in the slow in the crock pot. We're going to have dinner tonight. If you don't get this right, dinner ain't going through. I'm lying because I don't cook in crock pots. My wife cooks in crock pots. What I mean to say is wifey might say. <laughs> but sometimes you, you begin now to explain because if you don't do what I'm asking you, I need you to understand the consequences because it's going to set us up for failure. You see, Jesus is now saying, you are a friend. The Father's will has been given unto me. I am going to have you cling to me, be close to me, abide in me. I got some fruit that I need you to wear. And guess what? That fruit reflects me. But I'm going to give you a whole understanding of why. Because we are here to glorify the Father. And you glorify the Father by following my commands. So you want to love one another? Don't redefine love. Love according to my commands. Love according to the will of God. Love according to God's word. It's beautiful that God sees me in that way. That he trusts you. He loves you. He believes in you enough to say, here's understanding. Now, do I long for more of it? Oh, come on. I was talking with my sister and brother. Some stuff I don't understand. Sometimes I'm like, come on, Lord, what's up with the timing? Come on. I, yes, we, we long for understanding, but there's some stuff that he's been quite clear on. Some commandments that are pretty clear, some ways that we express love that are pretty straightforward, and then the wrestle becomes, will I submit and obey, or do I want to love people the way I want to love them? They be writing books on that, making millions of seven love languages and all this stuff. They just stole it from the Bible. Isn't that the wrestle? Am I going to love you the way God tells me to love? Felt it one day. I'm with one of my kids, and uh, one of them does, I, I warned them, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Smack. Now there's the wrestle in here. Because in my heart, I'm like, you deserve it. I told you not to do it. Didn't I tell you? But that's not the love. That's, that's not the love that God was. God was, look at your heart, man. You evil in the mug. This your baby. You don't even want to pick your baby up. Come here. Even though you've done wrong, come here. Even though you didn't listen, come here. You see, the love option is one where when you're with a peer, do you go into it with your hands like this ready to fight? Or do you go into it with your hands like this, open? 
With your children, do you go in open? Every time you go in open, it's an opportunity for you to be hurt at the heart. I get it. But now you get the understanding of the Father as he sent his son. Now you get Jesus' love for us as it was sacrificial. And he looks at each one of my, his children and says, don't do that again. You're going to do that? Don't do that again? Didn't I tell you? Didn't I bring you into it? Didn't I give you understanding? Come here. Come here. You see, we get to model the love that we receive. And the fight is choosing to be obedient. Family, I'm excited to, to walk with you, to be with you, to pray with you, to love with you like Jesus loves us. I'll leave you with a, a story that, that I heard as I was um, uh, strolling through this man named John Johnston shares this story. And I thought it was encouraging because it's not necessarily just two Christians, but it's a good example of love that I think we can all begin to connect with. This man named Ted Stallard undoubtedly qualifies as one of the least. Turned off by school, very sloppy in appearance, expressionless, unattractive. Even his teacher, Miss Thompson, enjoyed bearing down her red pen as she placed X's beside his many wrong answers. If only she, if only she had studied his records more carefully, his records read first grade, Ted shows promise with his work, but has poor home situation. Second grade said Ted could do no better, or Ted could do better, but his mother's seriously ill. He receives little help from home. Third grade, Ted is a good boy, but just too serious. He's a slow learner. His mother has died this year. Fourth grade, Ted is very slow, but well-behaved. His father shows no interest in him whatsoever. Christmas arrived. The children piled elaborately wrapped gifts on their teacher's desk, and Ted brought one, too. It was wrapped in a brown paper bag held together with some scotch tape. Ms. Thompson opened each gift, and as the children crowded around to watch, out of Ted's package fell a gaudy rhinestone bracelet with half the stones missing and a bottle of cheap perfume. The children began to snicker, began to laugh, but she silenced them by splashing some of the perfume right on her wrist, and letting them smell it. She put on the bracelet too. At day's end, after the other children had left, Ted came by the teacher's desk and said, Miss Thompson, you smell just like my mother. And the bracelet looks real pretty on you too. I'm glad you like my presence. He left. Miss Thompson got down on her knees and asked God to forgive her and to change her attitude. The next day, the children were greeted by a reformed teacher, one who committed to loving each of them, especially the slow ones, especially Ted. Surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, Ted began to grow great and show great improvement. Excuse me. He actually caught up with most of the students and even passed a few. Time came and went. Ms. Thompson heard nothing from Ted for a long time. Then one day, she received this note. Dear Ms. Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know I'll be graduating second in my class. Love, Ted. Four years later, another note arrived. Dear Ms. Thompson, they just told me that I will be graduating first in my class. I wanted you to be first to know the university has not been easy, but I liked it. Love, Ted. 
four years later, dear Miss Thompson, as of today, I'm Theodore Stallard, MD. How about that? I wanted you to be first to know. I'm getting married next month, the 27th to be exact. I want you to come and sit where my mother would sit if she were alive. You are the only family I have known. My dad, you are the only family I have now. My dad died last year. Ms. Thompson attended the wedding and sat where Ted's mother would have sat. The compassion she had shown that young man gave her that privilege. Let's have some real courage, the courage to start loving one another even when it's hard and the courage to allow love to change us. See, loving people is not just for the individual. It is also for us. And it shapes us and forms us more into who Christ would have us to be. Let's let our fruit. Let's let our fruit look like that of Christ. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we get the small opportunities every day. We get the opportunities to, through love, change our perspective by how we will live, by how we will care for others. We don't know how love will be received, but we get the joyous opportunity to demonstrate your love daily. Help give us the strength to do that. Help us choose your ways. God, I'm so grateful for a church body that does love one another, and we know that the world will know us by our love. But you were the one that died on the cross so we would experience love eternally, but you've challenged us, called us, commanded us to love daily, hourly, minute by minute, second by second, and we're thankful for your spirit that resides in us and gives us the ability. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church family, if you are a person that uh, has yet to experience love or it's tough for you to fathom this idea that we talk about, we come to offer it to you today not based on who we are, not based on our own strength, not based on our pedigree or any of the skills that we have. No, we offer you love because Jesus Christ offers himself. He gives you the opportunity to know him, to know that he loves you as you are, to know that he died for you while you were a sinner, to know that the sin which separates us from God, he says, I now see you. If you accept me into your heart, believe that I am your Lord, your Savior. If you believe that, I will separate that sin as far as the east is from the west. And then he'll place the spirit in you to walk with you, guide you, and lead you. If you would like to have that type of love experience, then we ask you simply pray this prayer. Repeat after me. God, I believe in you. I submit to your ways. I love you and want to be loved by you. I may not fully know what love is, but I'm willing to trust you. I believe you died for my sin so that I could have new life and that you give me the Holy Spirit to lead me 
on this journey. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If that is your heartfelt prayer, if the words came out wrong and you didn't say it exactly, that's okay. What matters is that you believe and that you experience repentance, choosing to acknowledge that you've broken God's heart by not living for him, but want to live for him today. If that is your reality, is that where you, that is where you are, then we as a church family join you in celebrating Christ, and we are uh, excited to see you walk with the Lord. We would love for you to join this church uh, and see you be connected, but more important than you being a member here is you being in the family of Christ, and we would uh, want to be a resource to you and would be willing to help you connect with another great ministry. So please, uh, if you have accepted Christ today, send us a text or call our prayer line at 313-444-0036 or come see me after service as I would love to walk with you and we, this church would love to be a support to you.